Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. We have been in a uh, series, this is the final week of the series, What's It Take? And um, I'll just say that for me personally, uh, much of this content has been, it's been very, very helpful for me to go back and sort of um, reconsider why we do the things that we do. This morning, I don't know um, why you came to church. I don't know why you're here. Uh, maybe you came because you have a need that needs to be filled. And maybe you came and um, your sense is that I have no need. Uh, my needs have all been met. My life is pretty much uh, up and to the right. And it is, uh, it is we're, we're going someplace. Some of us have had that experience of life. We literally have never experienced a difficult, tragic moment. We've started businesses. We have created families. And we may say and we may think that my life, like I have a charmed life. That may be true for you. Thank God if it is. But you are probably the exception rather than the rule. Last weekend, we dedicated families and children. Lots of families and lots of children. It was amazing. You know, and we, we kind of uh, joke about this sometimes, but, but we, we, we laugh and, and we talk about what it's like to get our kids up. We remember what that was like. Uh, we remember what it was like to get our kids up and out the door and sometimes the stress that happens and the things that are said and done on the way to church. Sometimes we are laughing about that and, and just acknowledging that that's a thing. And then we get to church and we're like, I've got an hour and I don't have my kids with me. How great is that? But what happens if you need more than an hour? What if you need days? What about the times when you feel completely depleted and unable to see the good that's in front of you? I have to say that as a, as a pastor, like providing care, um, uh, I get to see the trouble you're in, the mental spaces that I, I get myself into, and sometimes I, I walk away from conversations and I recognize that even in myself, there's a fragility to life. There's a fragility to life and to relationships that if they're untended, if those fragile places are untended, we will slide into the abyss of depression and anxiety and pain in our relationships, one with the other. So this morning, I hope that as we're gathered together that I can help shore up some of those places where, where 
um, our collective walls are leaking, where the possibility of a small crack or a small crevice in the foundation, if untended, will cause a weakening and eventually a crumbling of our relationships, our values, and sometimes even our faith. So wouldn't it be great if we could have experiences together that would begin to patch up those places, to strengthen those weak places, and bring healing to our hearts, souls, and minds. And I'm, I'm convinced this morning that we can. We can do that. But for some of us, we need to make some decisions about our, our future. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says something along the lines of forgetting what is behind and looking forward to what lies ahead. We often spend a lot of time back here regurgitating the past, feeling sorry for what did or didn't happen back here and forget that God has got our future. God's already ahead of us. He's waiting for us. Let's go. Let's see our future. It doesn't mean that we don't take care of the past, but if we've taken care of the past, we need to leave the past back there and we need to step into the future that God is creating for us. So we need a shift and a focus and uh, we need to lean into where God is leading us today. So... Um, one of the things I know is that our past often informs our present and our present state of mind, and even sometimes it informs our present thoughts about theology. How we see God, how we experience God has so much to do with our past. So when I first thought about this current collection of talks, what's it take? Uh, my sense was that we collectively need a renewed commitment to the orthodoxy of our Christian faith. And by that I mean uh, that we have a deeper understanding of what the essential to-dos are with, uh, in the ways that Jesus calls us. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little conflicted about even using that term, the to-do list. So don't misunderstand me. When I say a to-do list, I simply mean that there are a few things that Jesus calls us to. We've kind of narrowed them down to three things. And we talked in the first week of this series about baptism and the significance of baptism in our uh, theological experience, in our relationship with Jesus. Last week, I talked to you about serving and Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and he calls us to serve in similar fashion, not for our good, but for good of the other person. And honestly, when we serve others, it's really good for us too, but that can't be the intent of our service. And then finally today, I want to talk to you about uh, what is uh, called commonly an experience of communion. Uh, maybe you grew up in a tradition that said receiving the Eucharist. Um, maybe you've heard the term coming to the table or eating the Lord's Supper. All of those are pointing to the same thing. We're talking about the bread and the cup this morning and the significance of the experience of stepping into the moment of being served communion. So what's it take to follow Jesus? What should I do? This is the question we've been asking for the last number of weeks. When I place my faith in Jesus, what then? What must I do? Is, uh, and today, is communion still a thing? Like, is this something with, in today's era, modern day, today, 2023, communion? Is it still a thing? Is it necessary? How am I to think about Jesus' statement, this is my body, this is my blood? Sounds like some sort of pagan ritual, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about it, it's weird in our vernacular today, in our thoughts and processes today, 
it seems a little odd. This is not the way we talk. But in the day of Jesus, it was relevant and an important conversation just as it is today. So let me turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 11, verse, starting in verse 23. Let me just set this up for a minute. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking to them about these specifics of how they are to live. He's writing to us today how we are to live. And um, he gives them some um, uh, props for a few things. But then he gets to this point in the scripture and he says, for this, I really can't give you any commendation. Like you have really like torched this one. And what was happening was the church was gathering and there was division in the church. There was a division between those that had and those that had not. And they were not uh, coming together unified, but they were coming together divided. And so he's talking to them about this. And uh, we pick it up in verse 23. And he says to them, uh, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So basically he's saying, hey, look, um, I have received this from the Lord himself. And so I want to pass on to you this, 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 uh, this thing of communion. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember, uh, do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. So as I read that scripture, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I grew up in a, in a, uh, a Christian home. Uh, I watched my parents as a young child receiving communion. It's always been a part of my life. I didn't experience a first communion, didn't receive a first communion until I was 19 years old. And then I just continued what was done before. And sometimes when you grow up in a setting where these practices are actually uh, practiced, the, th the things that we just do as children, kind of we emerge into adulthood, we make a decision uh, about Jesus. And if it's for Jesus, if we step into faith with him, then we begin these practices and we do them almost without thinking about them. And so what I hope for this morning is that, that together we can have some new insight, some new revelation about the significance of what Jesus calls us to, like the why behind the what of this moment. So first of all, let me just uh, point us to the historical context of this. So throughout the Old Testament, the revelation, um, sort of the story of God is unfolding 
And as it unfolds, there are, um, uh, for me, it's simple, to, uh, easy to say that there's like temporary laws, temporary rules that God placed, uh, put in place for the children of Israel. So like a it's a temporary band-aid. Let's just go that route. That might be easier to think about. Like a temporary band-aid to cover the sins of the people. There were ritual animal sacrifices that were requ required. Blood needed to be spilled. And this is recorded in the Old Testament as part of this progressive revelation of God to humanity. Um, I think of these sacrifices that were required, these animal sacrifices that were required. They were like repetitive sacrifices. These were part of what we now know as the old covenant. Remember Jesus, when he broke the bread, he said, this is now the new covenant, the new covenant. So the old covenant that God made with his people required these animal sacrifices. This practice stood until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And his death introduced the new covenant of grace. The new covenant of grace. We live in an era of grace. No more blood sacrifices. Jesus has come. And today, you know what? It's as simple as saying, I surrender my life. I give my life to you, Jesus. I give my life to you, Jesus. We surrender and we receive and we're empowered to live lives that bring glory and honor to Jesus. Throughout history, if you look back in the, the earliest recorded moments of the, the, the New Testament church, when the church was established, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have this, this story, this, this uh, proof of what Jesus asked us to do today in terms of communion. They all record this Passover meal moment where Jesus looked at his disciples, he broke the bread, he showed them this new covenant in my blood. He talked about this to them. This is, uh, this is the ordinance that he gave, along with baptism, in order for us to practice. To this one is to remember. So it's like a memoriam. It's in memorial to Jesus. Whenever we take the cup, we remember Paul says in this scripture that he received from the Lord. Uh, it, it, we don't believe Paul was at, we know he wasn't at the Last Supper. So he didn't hear this coming directly from Jesus, but probably received some sort of like confirmation that it happened. And, um, and he calls it the Lord's Supper, likely because it was instituted by Jesus and because its, uh, it's very meaning points to a celebration. So whenever we have a collective meal together, it's often in celebration of something. When we gather together, we, we celebrate with food. And this celebration would be of his death and our life. His death, our life. It's participatory. Like uh, Paul says in, I didn't read the scripture, but in verse 20 of this passage, he says, when you come together. So I know uh, there are some um, some who believe that communion can be taken by yourself. I don't have a strong opinion about that. But the scriptures would indicate that when we come together as community, we share in this moment. So it's participatory. We come together, we're alongside each other. And let me just say too, that while we like we have we gather on the weekend here at the corner of 5th and Madison and we hope that 
unbelievers, those who don't yet believe, are part of our gathering this morning. And if you are here this morning and you find yourself in this place where you're, you're just trying to figure it out, we're glad you're here. But the communion elements themselves, the bread and the blood that we have been pointed to, we celebrate that with bread or body and blood, we celebrate that with bread and juice. These elements are for the exclusive use and practice of those who actually already believe. For those who have already committed their lives to the way of Jesus. It's physical. It's a physical experience. We bring ourselves to this table. We eat the bread. We drink the juice. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't use some really... um, uh, unfamiliar elements, like sitting at the table. I almost picture him going, well, here's the bread. I can use that. And there's the juice. Yeah, that'll work. These elements were common to their meal experience. They were common elements, but they, are, uh, they have uncommon significance for us. Now, uh, when we gather together physically, uh, some congregations, some churches experience communion every single time they gather. Some experience it, it, it you know, uh, once a month, once a quarter, twice a year. There's nothing in Scripture that says you need to do it this many times uh, every year, every day, every week, once a week. It, there's nothing to note of that. It doesn't indicate what kind of bread or how we break it, whether it should be juice or whether it should be wine. But rather, this experience, this physical experience, points to receiving what we, ha- what we, re- what we get with mindfulness and reflection. Whatever that our experience is together, however often we do it, it's receiving it with mindfulness and reflection. So the next point is it's mindful. So here's the thing. Um, Jansen pointed to this moment of celebration, and I agree. I agree. We should celebrate every time we receive the elements. We should have a mind of celebration. Like this is an incredible thing that we can take the, the bread and we can take the cup and we can thank God that we live in an era of grace, that we are living under the grace of Jesus. But we should be mindful about what this experience points to. We should consider with soberness and to focus our minds on Jesus, especially in his historical work in dying for our sins. So what I'm pointing to is remembering. When we remember someone, we are like in memoriam, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. This is not um, some uh, new agey sort of thing. I'm not saying like, like imagine. I'm not saying dreaming or channeling or going into neutral or manifesting, but I'm saying consciously directing our minds to Jesus. Jesus came. He was God in the flesh. He was living with a body that had a heart in it and skin that bled. He died on the Roman cross publicly in place of sinners. So this communion moment 
This moment of coming to the table, it, it, it grounds us in the earthiness of his physical existence. It's the bread and cup, it's the body, it's the blood, it's the execution, and it's death. These are the things that this reminds us of. It's a very spiritual experience. Because, you know, anyone, if you just think about it, like we're all humans, anyone of us can eat the bread, we can drink, and we can remember. These are all things that we are all capable of. You don't have to believe in Jesus to be able to do those things. So what is really happening when we come to the Lord's table? Well, we come as a body of believers, a community aligned with the ways of Jesus and each other. That is ultimately what he wants for us, is that we are aligned with him in our thinking. We are aligned with him in our mindsets. We are aligned soul, body, spirit with him and with each other. Uh, the word communion is connected to community. It means jointly participating. It means sharing and intimacy. You and I, we are spiritually connected. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, when we bless the cup and break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body and blood of Christ? See, he's reminding us that receiving the element serves to unite us. We share in every blessing bought by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And this deep spiritual connection means we have access to all the promises of God. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Every promise of God is ours because of the shed blood of Jesus. No devil can do that. No unbeliever can do that. It is a gift for those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Do you, do you hear that this morning? If you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he has died for your redemption and mine, we have access to all the promises of God, yes and amen. That's a beautiful thought. It's such an encouraging thought and a truth, not just a thought, but it is a truth. This moment is sacred. It's sacred. The old covenant spoke of Israel's physical deliverance from Egypt. The new covenant declares a spiritual deliverance from sin and death. Like what a grace it is that the sacrifice of Jesus is once for all. Never again does blood need to be shed for our sin. It is a once for all. So as we approach the table today, I want us to come with celebration. But I want us to come with a sacredness, a sense of sacredness, as we consider how the storyline of God has intersected with your story and my story. What a beautiful thing that is, that our storyline intersected with the storyline of God. And today, we can live in a place of gratitude, we can live in a place of grace because of the action of God to, to reveal himself as Jesus, as love. So what's it take? Here's, here's what I hope for. Here's what I hope for. I hope that as we consider all of these, that we would have a fresh perspective on the significance and on the seriousness of the moment that we're about to step into. 
that we would not come to the table with a careless or cavalier attitude. That is the unworthy part that Paul speaks to in 1 Corinthians 11. What is the truth about your spiritual state? I know you probably yelled at your kids this morning. Or you had an argument with your wife on the way here. Perfection is not a prerequisite for receiving the elements. Paul is not talking about the day-to-day things that happen that we tend to have stepped into and we... They're just, they're, they're just the friction that we have in our relationships sometimes. He's talking about this ongoing pattern of sin that some of us have a trouble breaking out of. Scripture tells us that his grace is sufficient, and it is. So don't, don't resist coming to the table this morning because of a faux pas this week that, you know, you probably need to, that's something you want to take care of, but it shouldn't keep you from coming to the table. If you are deep in sin, if you are repetitively sinning the same thing over and over and over again, then take care of that, then come. Take care of that and then come. My hope is that our minds would be fixed on not how am I appearing to those around me right now, but am I in alignment with Jesus? Is my heart aligned with Jesus Am I living in a place where I am clean before the Father? Is my mind engaged? Am I considering that as I receive the bread and cup, I am announcing that as far as it is up to me, I am at peace with God and man? Um, it reminds me of this scripture. Um, you know, if we talk, if we think about, like, are we part of the family? Are we part of, have we engaged this moment of saying, I, less of me and more of Jesus? Uh, in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 2, Peter, in this opening act of the church, of the local church, Peter is preaching. And it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, the listeners' hearts. They said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what must we do? What should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. That's, a, that's kind of a, a first step. No, it is. It is a first step. What must we do? We must repent. We must be baptized. Do I believe you need to be baptized to come receive communion? No, I don't. I don't. But it's a, we should not uh, diminish the significance of these markers in our Christian faith. So what's it take? If you've said yes to Jesus, then we must be known as people of God. We must be known as having the fruit of the Spirit. It's a reflection of the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in us, And we are to experience and participate in baptism. We are to experience and participate in service to others. And we are to experience and participate in this moment of receiving communion. 
Let me read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 10 that gets us uh, where we want to go here. So as we come to the table this morning, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's the charge this morning as we come to the table. We're going to celebrate communion until Jesus returns again. Some have asked, how long? Until he returns again. We will remember his body and blood. We will remember his sacrifice. And we will celebrate that while the wages of sin is spiritual death, the gift of God because of Jesus' death is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Together, I believe we can experience the healing presence and power of Jesus. We are a unified body I think that, uh, I often think of how uh, an old pastor of mine would always say, like, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So as you come this morning, we're at the same level. When you come, Jesus is here among us. His spirit is here among us to bring healing and alignment with him. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.